Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. When I think of the great stories we have in our culture about laughter, perhaps the most jovial and sincere of these stories is the 1964 musical Mary Poppins. Right? I mean, Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke in the same movie. I mean, my gosh, what a gift to the world. A beautiful, delightful soundtrack, a profoundly redemptive story about an angelic nanny who arrives with healing and love for the broken and struggling Banks family. One of the movie's most memorable scenes is a visit to Uncle Albert's house. And in the world of Mary Poppins, this fantasy world, Uncle Albert has been overtaken by fits of laughter. Right? You remember his song, like, I love to laugh? See, you remember the music from this, right? It's, it's an earworm, right? And, um, but, but the thing that's so funny about Uncle Albert is that he laughs so hard. What does he do? He floats up into the air. And this presents a problem because Uncle Albert is trapped in the ceiling of his own home because he's laughing so hard. He's so happy and overjoyed that he's been freed from the bonds of gravity itself. He is lifted to the ceiling. He's trapped up there. And he can't get down. He has to somehow figure out a way to dip down and pick up the phone and call Mary Poppins for help. And so Mary Poppins arrives with Bert the chimney sweep and the two young charges under her care, Jane and Michael Banks. And she's the no-nonsense type. You can't put anything by Mary Poppins. But her uh, friends there, Uncle Albert's laughter is so contagious that Bert and Jane and Michael, before too long, are laughing so hard that they too are lifted up to the ceiling they too become weightless. And I tell you about this scene from Mary Poppins because it sticks with me for a very long time. It fascinated me as a child that the laughter was so contagious and the laughter so genuine, it lifted up the characters to the heavens as if they were helium balloons. These characters were free. They were free from fear. They were free from whatever social pressures that had been hoisted upon them. The children were free from the sort of overbearing demands of their father. They were free from all of life's burdens. They were free from the laws of nature itself. Laughter is, in many ways, the language of the free. It's a response of those who are no longer bound and beholden. In our reading today from Genesis, laughter is the response of a woman who has had a profound and life-changing freedom given to her by the hand of God. That is what is happening in our reading today. So I want to talk about laughter today. I want to talk about the importance of laughter, what it means for Sarah, and what it means for you and I as members of the kingdom of God. What does it look like for laughter to take over Sarah's life? And what does it say about our lives as well? Um, So to that end, let us do a bit of review, right? This is a whole series we're doing in Genesis, and some of the context here is very important We started our time with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. That's nine Bible chapters ago. In our time, that's about two, two and a half months ago. Back in the uh, end, toward the end of June, we started looking at the story of Abraham. 
So for some time now, we've been playing this game with Abraham and God and Sarah, this will he, won't he, back and forth game. And the, the question is, one, will God deliver on a promise? And question number two, does Abraham believe God and have faith that he'll deliver on this promise? And that story has been what we've been going through now for some time. You remember that, that God promised Abraham a whole list of things. A number of sweet deals, verdant land to call his own, a family that becomes so large they have to enact government, a form of government to, um, to rule it, a nation. Um, and one of the things, the many things that God had promised to Abraham and Sarah was a biological heir. And you'll also remember that Abraham and Sarah were not just childless in their old age, but they were barren. They had been trying to conceive for, you know, something like 40, 50 years at this point. And nothing had come of that work. But they hear this offer from God for a, for a biological heir, and they take God up. They say, God, we're going to follow you. We're going to do what you want. We're going to trust that this is going to happen. And over the span of 25 years, Abraham and Sarah wait. A number of wacky things happen over these 25 years. Abraham and Sarah, Sarah gets abducted into the court of pagan kings twice. Uh, that uh, there was regional wars and Abraham has to raise an army and go fight in a war. Um, there's a surrogate pregnancy that's involved here where they bring one of the servants and say, well, if we can't have kids, let's have one through the servant here. And so all of this time they're, they're wondering, it calls into question the goodness of God. God, you promised these things. Um, God, they're not here yet. We've been waiting for 25 years. The sun has not arrived. Abraham is 100. Sarah is 90. What is the deal? And for Sarah in particular, it got, she got to be so frustrated and so dejected at God's promises. Um, she gets to a point where she does, when she hears God talk about this promise, she laughs. Not the sort of happy Uncle Albert Mary Poppins freedom laugh, but a derisive and mocking laugh. We looked at this a few weeks ago that God visits Abraham and Sarah in the form of these three travelers. And while they're visiting together, these three travelers who, who embody God's presence say, hey, Sarah's going to have a kid within the next calendar year. And how does Sarah respond? <laughs> yeah, right. She has this laughter in her life. Um, why bother hoping? She's 90 years old. And people who are 90 years old, women who are 90 years old, it's a biological impossibility that kids are going to come. And yet in our story today, a promise that is 25 years in the making comes true. Here's what the text says. I'll read it to you. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at a time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of this son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. I was trying to think of some way to connect this promise to, to our own daily life, right? Like, what is something you have to wait 25 years for a promise to be fulfilled? I had some thoughts, and, and they're not perfect, right? I thought about like a long-term marriage commitment. You make a promise to love each other forever, and 25 years in, if you're still together, you're doing okay. I mean, that's a big deal. Congratulations if you've been married that long. Um, and it's a testimony to the promises that were made when you made the marriage vows um, at the very beginning. But that's not the same thing, because you have the marriage before the 25 years. 
And I thought about mortgages, right? Dumb, but you know, you get what I'm saying because you know, some of us here have 30 year mortgages and, and that's good. A lot of people do, you know, have 30 year mortgages and you pay the bank for 30 years and then they give you a clean title of ownership. That's not the same thing either because you get the house before you get the deed. It's, it's not the same thing. And the closest thing I could come up with, and I really struggled to come up with something, was uh, U.S. government savings bonds, right? Right? The, 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 the government bonds where you buy them now and in 20 years, they'll give you back double. And I, I gotta tell you, I'm thankful for those savings bonds. They paid for uh, some textbooks of mine in college because someone gave them to me when I was a baby. And 20 years later, they bought me college textbooks. But that's nothing like waiting 25 years for a child. I mean, there's nothing like this. It's such a beautiful and wonderful thing, but it's also a unique and um, a, a significant thing to see in Scripture. The fulfillment of God's promise in our reading today is remarkable and it's remarkable that Abraham kept that faith for 25 years, right? Abraham has had a number of uh, spectacular failures in his life and his relationship with God, um, right? Uh, but he still trusted God with their fertility and their future in a way that none of us maybe have really thought about. To wait on that promise for 25 years. Who cares if Abraham has some moral failings? His faith is remarkable and something worth looking at with awe. He truly is a big deal. And so when a promise of 25 years in the making comes to fulfillment, how does Sarah respond? Here's what the text says. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah's response to the promise of God being fulfilled in her life is laughter. She laughs. What does she say? She says, God has made laughter for me. She says, everyone who comes and sees this is going to laugh with me. And not only that, but the name of their son, the name of this child, Isaac, is the Hebrew word for he laughs. Laughter is all over this text. Um, and, and so when you see um, Sarah with her newborn child in your mind's eye, and you see her weaning this newborn child, nursing this newborn child at the age of 90, you gotta can't help but laugh. Because it's both a beautiful and funny thing um, that God has done for this woman. Sarah now has this kind of joyous Mary Poppins laughter that is the language of liberation, of relief, and of freedom. Sarah, for the first time in her life, can fully and joyfully laugh at her circumstances. Think about it, right? If Sarah's laugh is the laugh of liberation, if Sarah's laugh is the laugh of freedom, what are the things that she's been freed from? Why would that cause her to laugh so much? What has she been freed from in this story? Well, she's been freed from a fickle future, okay? Uh, one of the, the ancient things, and I've said this before in church, but it bears repeating, is that children in the ancient world were like your 401k or your social security. Um, they didn't have those banking, fancy finance things back then. So what you did was you wanted to have a really big family so that when you got to the point where you were older and your joints ached and you couldn't farm or take care of the herds and um, you were maybe bedridden and your memory wasn't what it used to be, your children would take care of you in their old age. 
And so Sarah, up until this point, she has no children. Who is going to take care of her? But now, for the first time in her life, she can say, oh, thank God. The future is not something to be as terrified of as it actually could be. Because I have a son who's going to take care of me when I get old. So that's something that Sarah has been freed from. Here's another thing that Sarah has been freed from. She's been freed from the social stigma of not having children. Um, Again, this is the ancient world. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just describing how it was. The ancient world, it was so important to have children to make the social security safety net sort of thing that it was something that uh, if a woman could not fulfill that duty, she was looked at with scorn. She was looked at with pity. Um, the, the women in this time who couldn't have children, they were considered failures, maybe even cursed by God. Um, and so if the family was wealthy enough, if the first wife couldn't bring children, they would try another wife, a second wife, and a third wife. And it would introduce more women so, into the marriage so that the marriage uh, would produce children and produce this financial safety net. And so um, this woman who could not have children lived in constant fear of being replaced, of being derided, of being looked down upon by the women in her community. But not Sarah anymore, friends. Sarah has been freed from that. She was also free from Hagar's hatred. You'll remember that Sarah and Abraham, a number of chapters ago, had agreed to try a surrogate pregnancy. And it was really Sarah's idea. She says, look, I can't have any kids with you. Um, Why not try to have kids with my servant? We'll do the surrogate pregnancy thing. We'll give it a shot. and Maybe that will work. And it really doesn't work. All it does is create infighting within the family, a rivalry for Abraham's um, sort of fame and fortune between Hagar, the the servant, and, and Sarah. But now there's no need for that anymore. There's no need for that. Sarah doesn't have to sit there and sort of look at Hagar and loathe herself for saying, I brought this extra woman into my marital bed, and now I have a rival for Abraham's affection. She doesn't have to worry about that anymore because she has her own child. This selection of burdens and stressors that are on Sarah's heart that she's been freed from, there there could be more, right? Um, Surely there are more. But as she laughs... As, she, uh, as others join in her laughter, as this 90-year-old nurses her baby, the burdens of the formerly barren condition evaporate. Babies, right? They do that. You know? Um, they're so cute and they're so fun. I can say this from personal experience. Tom over there, he's brought more joy and more fun into people's life during this pandemic season than the pastor of this church has. <laughs> right? It's cute, and babies bring laughter. They bring joy. And so you have this agent coming into the family, this newborn, and laughter is everywhere. Everyone is happy. Everyone is overjoyed. Um, Everyone is free. One might imagine Sarah holding tightly to Isaac as uh, the laughter and the joy lift her off the ground like that scene in Mary Poppins, floating to the roof of her Bedouin tent, Uh, with tears of joy and deep relief. That's the image of what's happening in the story. She doesn't literally float, but she might as well, because the laughter is so contagious. So there you have it. God comes through on his promise. It only took him 25 years to do it. But the absurdity of Abraham and Sarah having a child at age 100 and at 90, I mean, it's obvious that that's absurd, but let us never say that God does not come through on his promises. In fact, now is a good time to remember, in fact, that your life is not all that different from Abraham's. We look at Abraham and we're like, you know, 
Good for him. He waited 25 years and got the thing that God had promised him. But like, I don't have anything like that in my life. You may be thinking that right now, and I'm here to tell you, you actually do. You have a different promise, a different promise from God, but you have promises too that you are waiting to be fulfilled. Here is a smattering of very minor promises, things that God has promised you over the course of your life. How about a resurrection from the dead? Right? God's promised you that. He has promised you eternal life without pain or suffering. He has promised you the end of hardship, the end of grief, the end of pain and toil and hunger and thirst and tears. He has promised you a forever relationship with the perfect divine creator of the universe. He has promised you justice for every wrong that's been done to you. And he has promised you forgiveness for every wrong that you have done. The defeat of every spiritual force that has sought to oppress and capture you and hold you down. God's promised that. And God has promised a world to come defined by perfection and relief. You know, just a couple things, right? That God has promised you. And some of you under the tent today, you're in your 30s. 40s. Some of you are in your 80s. Some of you are nine months old. But the reality is that when Abraham and Sarah waited for 25 years for their promise, you have been waiting your entire lives for the promises of God to come true that he has made to you. And in in the middle of it, you are thinking, how long till all this comes true? Sick relatives, family deaths, difficult jobs, unemployment struggles, COVID everything, virus grief, litigious injustices, political anxieties, addicted friends, abusive relationships. Whatever it is in your life, you're wondering, how can I be free from this? How can I be free? God, do you not see what's happening in my life? Free me. Do all of these good things that you have promised. And the question, of course, is not if those promises will come true. The question is, how long will it be? And if Abraham's been waiting for 25 years, you've been waiting for longer. Most of us, anyway. Kiddo's excluded in that statement, but you'll get what I mean one day. There's a remarkable passage in 1 Thessalonians where Paul talks about these promises coming true. Paul talks about Jesus' return to fulfill all these promises. And the verse says that when Jesus returns... Uh, to set the world right and to fulfill all of his promises. An angelic voice will ring out for all the world to hear. And the clouds will part and the dead in Christ shall be raised. So far, so good, right? We understand that. That's Christian end times theology 101. But St. Paul goes a little further in this very curious section where he goes on to say that um, the dead in Christ who have been raised and those who have yet to die but are still alive They will be, and here's the quote, caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up together in the clouds. The vision is, of course, something akin to what an ancient world would see as the victory, the victorious king returning from battle. Because what happens when a victorious king in the ancient world returns from battle is while they are still a long way off, the citizens of the the city come and they gather and they rush out to meet the victorious army returning in. And of course, what happens is the the king and the soldiers coming back, they have spoils of war and they start throwing money and they start throwing um, gold and they start throwing silver and everyone's there to catch it and cheer and celebrate because the king is returning victorious. And so St. Paul takes that image and says, Christ is not going to be returning on the ground. He'll be returning from the air. And what will happen is that in the same way, in that same ancient manner, the Christians of the world will rise and fly into the air to meet Christ as he returns and process with him down to the earth. 
That sounds odd, right? Um, but I imagine this scene will be joyful and wild and jubilant. There will be shouting and singing and praise given to Jesus the King. And like Sarah in Genesis 1, I imagine that these floating, flying Christians are experiencing freedom. Many of them true and fulfilled freedom for the first time, purchased through a bloody cross and an empty tomb. And as they experience this freedom, and as they experience uh, the relief of all of their burdens, these Christians will be overtaken by a raucous and joyful laughter. Laughter because they are free from condemnation and the accusing voice of the devil. Laughter because they are free from the quiet anxiety Is this true? Have I chosen rightly? Laughter because they are free of the laws of gravity. It's just like that scene in Mary Poppins, but in such a more fulfilled way. Because there are no wire harnesses and special effects when Jesus comes back. If the laughter of the saved is the laughter of the free, then when Jesus returns, laughter will be the language of the faithful. Let us hold fast then, friends, to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's what the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews says. And then later on, he goes on to talk about Sarah, and he says, By faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him who promised, since she considered him faithful who had promised that she believed in the promise of God and then she received that which was promised. And so today, friends, in our reading, it is Sarah's turn to receive her promise. It is Sarah's turn to laugh with joy for the gift of God. I am here to tell you, friends, our turn to laugh will come soon enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.